Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Thank you, Don. I appreciate the introduction. We are nearing the end of our series, actually. We've got a few more weeks left in October, and we'll be all done with this series we're calling Ready for War, which is designed, I hope, to get us ready to fight the spiritual battle that every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ is currently in right now. And you, are, you and I are in a serious battle, and it's a battle that has, thankfully, already been won. But unfortunately, our enemy, the one who's fighting against us, his main tactic is deception. And what he wants us to do is to be confused about the fact that this battle has been won, to be unsure of that, and then lure us out with his deceiving ways back into this battle with him, but not prepared. And so what God has done for us to make us prepared to resist the devil, to fight him, is he's given us an armor. And Paul probably sitting in a jail cell at this time, looking up at a most likely Roman soldier, maybe wearing pieces of this armor, took inspiration from what he saw and began to describe parts of what it's like to be a Christian and what the Christian uses by looking at this soldier. And he comes to the helmet and he's looking at the helmet and the only thing that he comes up with or what he comes up with guided by God is that the helmet is salvation, salvation. Boy, this is an important one for us to come to. The helmet was a very, very vital piece of armor for the soldier. In fact, you might say it was the most important piece because a blow to the head would be absolutely fatal in this kind of war. And Paul says, for your head to be protected, for your mind to be secure, for you to ensure that you'll have life and be able to fight in this battle and survive, you've got to put on the helmet of salvation. The need for this is born out of a universal human experience. Every person experiences this need, and that need is for some basis of salvation. You see, every person experiences this concept, this idea, this life in this life, that there is something not right, that there's something that we need, that there's something outside of us, that the moment we get that thing or have this thing come to us, everything will be made right. And so we at times follow Satan's deceptions and lures into things that are not of God to try to make life right and oftentimes lose that battle. And what Paul is trying to tell us is that the thing that protects our mind is this salvation, as Peter said, that comes only from Jesus Christ. Well, so when Paul looked at the soldier and said the helmet is a demonstration of our salvation, Let's ask very simply this morning, why? Why does the helmet of the Roman soldier represent to Paul and to us today what salvation is like? The first reason is this. If you don't know much about Roman soldiers and the helmet they wore, you've probably seen a movie or seen a picture of what they look like. I'll try to do my best to describe it. But first of all, Paul looked at the Roman soldier's helmet and saw salvation because the helmet was actually fancy. Before we get to its tactical advantages, let's talk first of all about the fact that this helmet that the soldier would put on was an incredibly fancy thing. Its appearance was beautiful. It was a handcrafted piece of art. 
It would have etchings in it that were decorative. Oftentimes, um, they would decorate the, um, their helmets with things that were important to them or special to them. Typically, these people would be gone at war for one, two, or three years, and they would maybe etch into it a, a scene of farm so that they would remind where they're from or maybe a scene or maybe uh, figures of their family members to remind them of them. And this piece that they would have would be a beautiful cast bronze thing. It was shaped with precision and decorated beautifully. When you looked at the Roman soldier's helmet, the first thing you noticed is that it was a beautiful piece of art. In fact, for the Roman soldier in that day, the moment he became a soldier and was given this helmet, there was an immense amount of pride that would well up inside of this soldier because he saw that helmet as not just a tactical um, advantage in his fighting in the army, he saw it as a gift from Caesar himself. To be able to be given one of these helmets that would distinguish him as a Roman soldier different than all the other citizens, different than all the other soldiers in every other army, he was now a Roman soldier, gave him great honor. And for us, when Paul looked at the helmet, he saw this. It reminded him that salvation is the most beautiful thing that God has ever given us. First and foremost, when you are given the gift of salvation, it, beyond its tactical advantage and functional use, salvation is the most beautiful thing that God can ever give you. In fact, you see the beauty of salvation woven through every part of human culture. Wherever you go in human culture, past and the present, and I'm certain of the future, east to west, north to south, wherever you go, you find narratives of salvation that humans are drawn to. I would encourage you to look at probably your top five list of movies that actually are decent movies, good movies, and you'll find inside of them, even some of the funny ones, a thread of the gospel in every story. Some, somewhere along the lines, there's going to be some problem that a person can't overcome, some problem that they're facing that looks insurmountable, and then there'll be a hero that comes out of nowhere that usually delivers that person and eventually they end up f figuring that situation out. Or if there's maybe a love story that goes, maybe you usually have somebody who looks like they probably won't be able to find somebody or find that person. Maybe they really want that person. And through trials and tribulations and difficulties, somehow they choose each other and they end up together. Look at all the Disney stories. All the Disney stories have within them a thread of redemption and salvation. All of them. And what draws humanity to those stories, C.S. Lewis said it this way, it's because we're living it. The reason we love the Disney stories or the reason we love those movies that we watch on TV that tell or listen, your favorite music all speaks to the longing to be loved and cared for and find so they, they all speaks to that. And the reason we're drawn to that is because it's the story we live. It's the most beautiful thing that somebody who is helpless is rescued by somebody who can. And that's the story of the gospel. And that's why it's the most beautiful thing that God has ever given you. But it wasn't just fancy in its appearance. It was also fancy because it was a declaration. In fact, on top of the helmet, so this helmet would be bronze and it would have cheek protection and back of the neck protection. And on top of it, some of you probably have seen this before, there was what they called a, a plume. Um, it was a huge um, oftentimes made of horsehair, dyed a bright color like red or orange, and it would be like a mohawk going down the middle of the soldier's helmet. 
It's kind of strange, right? Those men in here that are men and women that have served in the military, maybe been in, um, in harm's way before, know that typically you don't wear armor that tells the enemy, here's where I'm standing. You, you know, now today we've sort of changed our method. We wear camouflage so that the enemy actually doesn't see us or know where we are. But for the Roman, they would put this helmet on with this bright red mohawk and they would walk right into battle. Why would they do that? They would do that because they would know that they were the most advanced army in the world, the most powerful infantry, with the most advanced technology on their bodies. And they looked at those people and said, whatever you do, there's no way you're taking me out. And they wanted the enemy to know, we're coming. So you'd see 10,000, 20,000 bright red Mohawks coming at you. And they wanted Persia, they wanted Greece, they wanted these nations to know, we're coming, we will conquer you, and you won't win. And Paul, when he looked at that piece of pride, that boasting of the Roman soldier, he said, when I see that, I see salvation of a Christian, meaning that when you put that helmet on, you have a kind of confidence in the strength and the armor that you're wearing. You almost, in the sense, like the Roman soldier, are not afraid and want to intimidate your enemy. Now think about this. Your salvation is the most intimidating thing to Satan. Have you ever looked at it that way? Yes, most certainly he, you and him by yourselves, he's more powerful, he's more deceptive, he can take us out. But think about it. When you put that helmet on, you are screaming to him salvation, which is the worst news he could ever hear. He was defeated at the cross and then in the resurrection. His fate was sealed. As Jesus said, hell reserved for Satan and his angels. He knows it. And when you tell him, I'm wearing the helmet of salvation, and you cannot defeat me, and I have confidence, not in myself, but in the armor that I'm wearing, and the name that I carry, what we're telling Satan is, you cannot win, and your defeat is imminent. Number two, not only is the helmet fancy, it was also formidable. It was powerful. It wasn't just a beautiful piece of artwork. You couldn't destroy this thing. In fact, the helmet was formidable because, first of all, what it protected. It was designed to protect your head. And as I sort of mentioned already, you know, your head is kind of your command center for life. You know, no one in here probably wants to live without a limb in their life, maybe a finger or an arm or a leg. But we can figure out ways to survive that. But I have yet to see somebody go without their head, you know, get it chopped off and then figure out how to just to get kind of prosthetic head and kind of keep going. It doesn't happen. The moment you lose your head, you're done. And so the helmet was designed to protect the command center of your life. It was designed specifically with pieces to protect the entire head. As I mentioned already, it would have handcrafted, perfectly designed cheek protections. And then they would come around and guard the jaw. And it would have a slope on the back of the helmet to protect the back of the neck so that in combat, the entire head would be protected. And so it was important and formidable, not just because of what it protected, but how it could protect. This thing was made of incredibly thick bronze, strong and heavy. It was designed for the specific battles that they would fight in, a hand-to-hand -hand kind of battle. Now, in those days... This is where this piece of equipment got its name. When you fought in hand-to-hand -hand battles, sometimes you would use a sword, but not everybody had swords. They were expensive. And so what they used was what was called a battle axe. 
That's where that name came from. Those were much cheaper. They could be formed cheaper. They had a wooden handle, not like a sword that was uh, casted and then shaped, uh, much more expensive material. So just imagine if any of you ever used like a, an axe, maybe about this big, for maybe splitting wood or something. They're pretty heavy, right? Those things are pretty formidable. The Romans specifically designed this helmet to be able to withstand a full swing from a grown man of an axe to it and not be penetrated. That's how thick of bronze this thing would wear. So just imagine there, you're standing there in a fight and you just take an axe to the side of the head and your bell's rung, but you're still alive. That's unbelievable, isn't it? That's crazy. They found these helmets since then. They thick metal that you cannot, you could take a hammer and beat on it and it wouldn't break it. That's how powerful this thing was. And it was important, not just to keep the soldier alive, but how do you think it changed the soldier's disposition when he saw maybe at the you know, R&D center of Roman soldier equipment and he's sitting there in the back of a development warehouse and they have you know, probably some machine that's swinging hammers on it and he walks in and there's the helmet on a fake dummy head, right? Like the crash dummies. And there's this huge axe being swung by a machine like a golf club and he's seeing it not be penetrated. And then they go, okay, here, here's your helmet. How do you think that soldier's disposition changed? He put that thing on, he'd walk into battle and be like, take a swing, let's go. Because you're wearing leather and I'm wearing bronze and I'm probably gonna win this thing. It would give him confidence, right? It would give him security. In fact, the moment he put it on, he knew I'm ready to battle and I will not lose. Can you put the pieces together, Christian? When you actually put on the helmet of salvation in Jesus Christ, it should infuse from your toes to your head a kind of confidence that the moment I'm wearing salvation from God, I'm not going to lose. I've got this ability. Take your swing, Satan. Come at my head. Try to shoot those arrows. Try to tell me I'm not going to make it or I'm not good enough. Come at me. Because I'm wearing a salvation from Jesus Christ that tells me that even though I was not good enough, he loved me and cared for me, came for me and died and saved me. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. The moment that soldier put his helmet on, it gave him a kind of confidence. And for us, we need that same kind of confidence to fight. We've got to have it to trust in our salvation that is formidable. We've got to know, first of all, who can wear this helmet? Who can be saved? I love the way the Hebrew writer puts it. He says it this way in chapter 7. That in thinking about salvation, that Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost. Now, I don't use that word very often in my everyday language, but uttermost means that there's not an extent to which the arm of God cannot reach. There's not a person in this room, nor a person out of this room, that is beyond the extensive reach, the extensive reach of God's arm. Nobody. The salvation of Jesus Christ can reach anybody. Number two, how long can this salvation endure? How, much, how many blows can it take? When that Roman soldier put his helmet on, he didn't have a number thinking, I can take six hits and I got to get out. He said, I can take infinite amount of hits. And I'm just reminded how Paul talks about Romans chapter 8 when he says, there is nothing. There's not a circumstance in the world. There's not a power in this world that has the ability to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nobody. There's nothing that can do that. Paul would actually say in Romans, or Philippians chapter 1, the same, very, the same thing, that the gospel of Jesus Christ can continue to save us for all eternity. It is powerful. So this helmet is fancy. It's beautiful. It's powerful and formidable. 
But that doesn't matter if it actually isn't functional. You know, you could design something that says a tank could run over this and it's not going to break, but not be able to actually put it on your head and carry it, right? It'd be so heavy that your head would be leaning down and you couldn't carry, you couldn't fight, you couldn't see. That's not the case with this. This thing would be useless if it didn't work, but in fact, it worked perfectly. Because of its weight and its size, and just think about how casting a, um, a, a helmet of bronze wouldn't fit everybody. You could have a small head, a big head, it wouldn't always fit everybody, so they had to cast it for a particular size, and they would fill it with sponge that they would find. And that sponge would lighten the load on the soldier's head so that he could wear it for a long time, but it would also serve to make it tight on their head. Think about a football player's helmet. They have like cushion on the inside. And you ever got one that's too small and it gets kind of stuck on your head and that player takes it off. And he's got like a bright red mark on his head. It's been maybe a little bit too tight. But when it's that way, that person can move their head and that helmet doesn't shake and move. And that's what they would do with this. This helmet was designed perfectly as a salvation guard to protect our mind. And we have to have it if we're going to win this war. There are two ways that this helmet is very functional and the way that you and I can fit this helmet tightly on our head. Because I don't want us to be people that just see a helmet that's salvation and think, well, if I put it on, it won't fit me because it's not for me. We can actually get this helmet to fit us perfectly like they would do with the sponge in the first century. But here's how we do it, first of all. The first thing you do to fit this helmet on your head functionally is you must be aware of your salvation. Now, at first, that might sound a little bit strange for me to say to you, you got to be aware of your salvation. You're people sitting in church, right? Uh, duh, this is easy. But this is actually pretty true. There are many, many people that are taken down by Satan because they either don't know or forget about their salvation or they don't understand it properly. They don't understand it right. And so it's not fitted to them because they don't really understand the, the whole concept from Scripture about salvation. To the unbelievers, as we see Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, down in about verse 3, he says, Satan blinds the minds of people to the gospel. To unbelievers, he distorts the gospel. He confuses the gospel. He messes with the gospel so that unbelievers don't understand it and they make a mess of it and they won't see it. So they don't put any sponge in there and they don't put it on. But to believers, it's not that he blinds us to the gospel. It's that Satan leads us to a distorted gospel, a changed gospel, a gospel that's not clear or pure anymore. Paul warned us in Galatians chapter 1 when he said, I can't believe you've turned aside so quickly to another gospel. Even though there isn't another gospel, there's only one. And when we distort the gospel, we're like people grabbing that helmet and putting some sponge in there, but either putting too much or not enough so that it doesn't fit us. We're not wearing it properly. And the two ways that we distort the gospel are two extremes. One is by license or licentiousness, they call it, which means this. I hear about the gospel, the grace of God that saves me. Great. That means I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want. I can live how I want. God's grace saves me. It doesn't matter what I do. And so they put a little bit less sponge in there. And the helmet kind of shakes and bounces around on their, bounces around on their head. And it doesn't fit them. And they live licentiously or with license to do whatever they want. And they've missed the point of how the helmet's supposed to protect them. But the other extreme is not putting too little of sponge, but too much. And it fits on too tight. 
And the word that's used to describe that is called legalism. And that's this. When you are unsure that Jesus Christ can really save you. When you lack confidence that Jesus really is able to save you. And when you become unsure, you work with great diligence, but oftentimes misguided diligence, to try to save yourself. I'll remind you that there were two brothers, not one, in Luke chapter 15 that were lost. Do you remember that? One was lost because he was drawn into a war of reckless living and rebellious living. He wanted to indulge in all the fancies of this world. And so he left the father. But there was a second brother that had just as much distance from the father, not in proximity, but in relationship. He was one who, through his piety and his self-righteousness, thought that, hey, I should be you know, having all these gifts from the father. And all of a sudden, there's this great party and a feast that the father's throwing and the older brother's left out because he didn't understand and relate to his father. So you and I must be aware of our salvation, but we also, number two, must be active in our salvation. Salvation is not an event that just took place in your past. It's not just the day that you were immersed into Christ and you were baptized and raised to walk the newness of life. That is the day your salvation began. But it didn't end there. It started there. It's an ongoing process. And for us, for us to be active in our salvation, we've got to do two things. One, you've got to remind yourself of your salvation. Hourly, daily, weekly, constantly. Every morning, I encourage you, remind yourself, recenter yourself with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you do that when you come directly into Scripture, ask yourself every passage, how do I see in this story? How do I see in this example? How do I see in this commandment? How do I see in this promise? How do I see in this action of Jesus or explanation of an apostle? How do I see in this passage something good God does for us? And orient your heart around the gospel every day. If you're not great at that, if you need practice with that, I've recommended a few resources before. I'll tell you again, there's a great morning devotional book called New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp that brings you a one-page Gospel meditation every day. You've got to learn every day how to align your heart with the story of your salvation. Okay? You've got to do that so that we can let the gospel drive us to an eternal perspective on our problems and our difficulties. To an eternal perspective on that which we fear and that which we're insecure about. We've got to let the helmet save us from the daily wars that Satan wages against us with trivial circumstances and insecurities and fears and doubts. And we've got to put that helmet on, which gives us an eternal perspective. But you don't just remind yourself. You've also got to refuel yourself. You see, daily when you're reminding yourself of the gospel, what you're doing in that moment is actually giving yourself fuel to go on for sanctification. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2, where we grow up into salvation, which means we're maturing into Jesus Christ. We're growing into the head, becoming like him. And he would say later in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul would, that the clearer you see Jesus, the better you understand him, the more in-depth you think about your salvation, the more you see the beauty of his glory, the more you'll be transformed and become like him. You see, I invite you into exploring the depths of salvation. The Bible gives us a whole host of metaphors to talk about salvation. We have lost and found dead and alive. You know, 
sold into slavery, needing to be redeemed, as you think about all of those metaphors and wonder all the great things that God has done for us, you'll begin to see that in every story of the Bible, Jesus Christ is the greater example of that story as our Redeemer. Just think about it. Jesus is the greater Abraham who left his familiar country to go on the promise of God to deliver his people by faith. Jesus is the greater David who battled against the giant and by the power of God defeated him so that the rest of God's people could enjoy his victory. Jesus is the greater Hosea who would go and purchase back his bride who had left him and cheated on him over and over and purchase her back so that she would be his once again. He's the greater everything you see in Scripture, telling you that you're the greater thing that he's always wanted. That's the story. To those of you who have been given this helmet, put it on, wear it every day. Let it protect your mind. Let it remind you, as Paul said in Romans 13, that your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed and keep fighting. But if there are people who have not yet put on this helmet, maybe you've seen it at the R&D Center, maybe you've watched other people wear it, Whatever it may be, the helmet that you're wearing, if it's not the helmet of salvation, as you go into daily battles of life, is a helmet that will not protect you. It's sort of like an NFL player putting on an old leather helmet from 1900s, right? And trying to go out and play in today's game. It just won't work. It's not designed to fight in that battle. It won't last and it won't save you. And I would encourage you to stop turning to other helmets to protect your mind and turn to the helmet of salvation that your soul is longing for. You gotta come to him, you gotta learn from him, you gotta receive his love, but you're gonna have to give your life to him. You're gonna have to trust him. And to put on that helmet, you're gonna have to say, I die to myself in all the ways that I've tried to save me, and I'm raising to you. In the waters of baptism and by faith, you can do that. Let's stand and sing if you need help, won't you come?